0: Welcome to another episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. This is number 72. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe, and what a privilege to serve as your guide on this journey in the pursuit of purpose, higher purpose in business, leadership in life. We've got a delightful conversation coming your way today, and it's a great follow-up to last week, episode 71 with Rich Sheridan talking about Chief Joy Officer. So whether you've heard that one or not, doesn't matter. If you hadn't heard it yet, go back and pick it up. These go nicely together, a perfect pairing. A couple of months ago, my friend Grace Casper from Bethany House contacted me with a recommendation for a book and a guest for the podcast. Well, she sent me the book, and as I started reading it, I realized she was right. So, the book is The Hospitable Leader, written by Terry A. Smith, who's our guest today. It's a welcome read. You'll hear much more about that as we get into the conversation. Terry is a pastor and has learned so much about hospitality, leading one of the most diverse congregations in America. Whether or not you're a person of faith, there are extremely valuable and practical insights about hospitality that can supercharge your leadership and change the way you lead. So let's get to it. Welcome, Terry Smith. What a delight to have you join us today and help us explore hospitality as a meaningful new approach to leadership. But before we do that, Terry, go ahead, say hello.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Kevin. It's my privilege to be with you. Thanks for asking me on your podcast, Hmm. and I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Oh, me too. But before we start talking about hospitality, let me ask you, what, what is something you are grateful for in this moment?
1: That's a great question, and I'm glad that I have a ready answer. Actually, as I drove on to the grounds of the campus of the church that I serve here in the New York City metropolitan area, I distinctly said to myself that I'm grateful for the building that I'm walking into. And I just, I had a kind of a flashback of all the vision and the sacrifices people made and so on to create a really stunningly beautiful campus, some 13 miles from Times Square. And also, as I walked to the door, I saw a couple of my team members doing various things. And I just had a very distinct feeling of, hey, I really like these people. I'm glad they're here. Wow.
0: Well, we may come back and unpack this. All so right. we're going to talk about hospitality and enjoying the people you work with, them enjoying you, having a great, beautiful facility, whatever that is for you listening, is all part of that hospitality, right?
1: Absolutely. It's a whole approach to life, a whole way of thinking about things. And it can include the physicality of a thing. But more than that, it's a spiritual state, it's a state of attitude, it's the way that we communicate, it has to do with emotional well-being.
0: Well, I'm eager to unpack this. Terry, it's early December when we're talking, and this episode will air in December. So this is a time of the year when so many leaders and companies are hosting parties, and they're expressing gratitude to their employees, their appreciation to their customers and clients. And it got me wondering, is the hospitable leader just about throwing great parties and being a gracious host?
1: No, you know, it's a piece of it. A hospitable leader is going to throw parties and be a gracious host, but it's a whole lot more than that. So I define a hospitable leader like this. It's kind of a technical definition that we can spend time discussing if you want in a little more practical ways, but a hospitable leader creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. So it's about creating an environment, and that means a lot of things, where one can practice leadership in all of its permutations in ways that are more effective and that influences an ever-expanding diversity of people. So I like to say that hospitable leadership is a worldview. It's a mindset. Hmm. It's an approach that it can have multiple expressions in action and behavior, but it's a philosophical operating system. If done properly, it makes everything work better.
0: Okay. And if done improperly, what's at stake?
1: Well, I don't think you can do hospitable leadership improperly. Okay. I think you can be an inhospitable leader. All right. And I think that there are a couple of things going on right now in our culture. I actually think that hospitable leadership describes something that is happening more and more in a number of corporations, nonprofits, and so on. I'd agree with that. So I think I'm giving language to something that you see happening in, let's say, as an example, a Southwest Airlines. The way that they approach everything concerning their corporation, from what I know of it, and I've studied it some, everybody's pretty familiar with their thing. There's an example of a hospitable culture. On the other hand, there is also, it seems like at the same time, a growth of inhospitality.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so the implications of that would include things like the tremendous polarization that we see in our culture in so many ways. A lot of that's the result of leaders who do not understand what it is to lead with a mindset that is hospitable to other people.
0: Hmm. Oh, Terry, this is going to be fun. I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm so looking forward to diving into this. How did you discover a connection between hospitality and leadership?
1: Well, I'll answer that in a couple of ways. The first is I came up with this term, kind of accidentally in attempting to explain the culture of the church that I serve. So I've been leading a congregation in a suburb of New York City for 27 years. We started with a very small group of people, and we've grown to a pretty large group of people. The thing that we're probably best known for is our diversity. Now, this is diversity on any number of measures race, ethnicity, nation of origin. We're very unique in that we do not have a dominant racial group in our congregation. But it's also, it's Republicans and Democrats and independents. It's people from a variety of families within the Christian faith. And then a number of people who don't believe, who feel comfortable coming and being a part of our experience on a Sunday morning and listening to me speak. It's Rich people and and all levels of not so rich people. It's some of the best educated people in the world. And I'm sure some people who are still trying to get their GED. Hmm. The point is, it is an extremely diverse congregation. Last we checked, people from 186 zip codes participating in the life of our church. So, you know, people have asked me over the years, how did this happen? This is so rare. These people love each other. We haven't just been doing this for a few months. We've been doing this for a long time. And I came up with this term, hospitable leadership, mm. to describe the way we approach pretty much everything. Now, that was a long answer. You may want to interrupt me. But the other thing I would say is that I use hospitable leadership then, as I've been thinking a lot about this in recent years, to describe the leadership methodology of Jesus. Mm who was inarguably the most effective leader who ever lived. So whether someone listening to us today believes as I do or not about the truth claims of Jesus and Christian orthodoxy, it's difficult to dispute that he was he was the most effective leader who ever lived. I mean, 2,000 years after he died, he has, what, 2 billion followers. So that's another thing is that Jesus was constantly Leading in some kind of a hospitable situation, and he was influencing people there.
0: Okay. So we're not making this a faith podcast. Terry and I are both people of faith, but we welcome anybody listening. But there was Absolutely. something in your book that I have to say that it just stood out to me along this faith line. You said there are only three ways the gospels complete this one statement. The Son of Man, Jesus, came one way is to seek and save the lost. Right. One way is to give his life as a ransom for many, isn't it? Right. And the third
1: was, I'll let you say it. Well, when he described why he came or his mission, you know, we're talking about this in a corporate setting, he came to accomplish some really serious things. Let's say it that way. Okay. So twice he described why he came and he did it exactly like you said, to seek and save the lost, to give his life a ransom for many. But when he described how he came, He said that he came eating and drinking. This is the only time, from my understanding, in the Gospels, he described how he came. Mm -hmm. And so he had the most serious mission in the history of humanity, yet at the same time, when you really study the way that he influenced people through the Gospels, he was constantly creating environments where people felt welcome using environments where he was welcomed, He was constantly going to dinner, at dinner, coming from dinner, from the wedding feast at Cana, which is where he performed his first miracle, and we're told he showed his glory for the first time, where he created wine to keep the party going longer. (laughs) All the way through his entire ministry, he's constantly in those kinds of settings. If there isn't food, he creates food. You know, he cooks breakfast for Simon Peter in a post-resurrection breakfast meeting to reconcile with Simon Peter the horrible thing that had happened where Peter had denied him at his execution. So he was an incredibly hospitable leader.
0: I just love that picture. Love that picture of how hospitable he was. And he was hospitable to people who were inhospitable to him.
1: Yes, he was. Now, he would speak truth to them, but he would do it in a context where most of the time people were able to receive it. But he was incredibly hospitable. Yes.
0: Okay, so that's the background of this hospitable leader. Let's go into this subtitle. I love the subtitle of the book. And you mentioned it earlier, Creating Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. So before we go into that, which I want to, I just have to ask you something. I love the word flourish. And a lot of times I'm criticized for using the word flourish because people say it's soft. It's airy fairy. You know, what do you mean flourish? So
1: you used it in your subtitle. I'm going to put you on the spot. (laughs) If it's problematic, let's blame the publisher. huh? (laughs) Actually, I do love the word. So. If some of you who are listening, have a challenge with some soft word like flourish or some soft leadership skill, it is important to remember that it's being proven again and again in recent years that soft leadership skills bring hard results. And when we care about things, for instance, like the people we are leading flourishing, it's amazing. How our concern for them flourishing and their dreams flourishing brings amazing results. Hmm. People, you know, they're in an environment where there's space created for their success. And that really matters. Hmm.
0: So. Talk about environments a moment. I read this line in the book, Terry, and there's just something when I read this, there were all sorts of memories triggered. When people walk into a room, they sense whether or not we have been planning for them. I can think of times I went into a room and it was obvious. It was a surprise we showed up. And then there are other times you can tell they were incredibly intentional and had gone to great lengths to be ready for our arrival.
1: Yeah, I really think that that's a real key for this whole hospitable leadership thing. We spend a lot of time in meetings. And if we can create a meeting environment that is hospitable to the person who's been asked to be there, we're able to to engage their heart. It's really important that people walk out of a meeting with more than an action item list. Absolutely. That's one of our things here is you don't have a meeting where you don't walk out having agreed to what's going to be done and who's going to do it and when it's going to happen. But you have to have more than that. You have to have heart engagement because that's when people engage their will. And there's something about creating an environment that's hospitable to people that engages their heart, whether that's having the physical space ready or I really like to talk about this in terms of physical environment, spiritual environment, emotional environment, attitudinal environment, and communicative environment. When we pay attention to each of those things, we create an environment where people walk away ready to go, you know, run through a wall and make something happen. I have a kind of a long example of how Jesus actually did this at the Last Supper, whether This is a good time to share it, or maybe there's a better time to share it.
0: Let's do it now.
1: Well, it takes kind of a couple of minutes to unpack this. That's okay. So I see the Last Supper as a tremendous paradigm of how a hospitable leader engages the hearts of people in a crucial meeting. Okay. This is kind of an unusual way to think about the Last Supper, but it really works for me. The Last Supper takes up a lot of space in the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of John. I think it takes up five chapters, if I remember correctly, in the Gospel of John. And there's a lot that happens there that's really important, and that literally changed the world. So first of all, Jesus paid great attention to the physical space in which the Last Supper happened. He assigned his two most important leaders to go find the room where it was to happen, Peter and John. The room had to be large enough. It had to be properly furnished. They were tasked with the responsibility of preparing the Passover dinner, which was no small feat. You had to go find a lamb. It had to be the right kind. It had to be roasted in a certain way. You had to you know, set a table for, in this case, 12 plus one. You had to have the wine and all the things that were necessary to celebrate the mm. Passover meal. Jesus is the one who gave the instructions as to how the physical space should be prepared. Secondly, as it concerns spiritual climate, I love a line in John's Gospel where early in the Last Supper, we're told that Jesus essentially knew who he was. He knew he had come from the Father, he knew what he was assigned to do, and he knew he was going back to the Father. And I think important to creating a proper spiritual state is we have to know who we are. We have to be at home in ourselves and in our own calling. And there's a transcendent part of that where we have a sense of being connected to something greater than we are. So that's spiritual climate. Third, attitudinal or emotional climate John's gospel said that in this setting, Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love. Mm. I just love that. He showed them the full extent of his love. Now, that sounds like, you know, just maybe some Bible thing. But in fact, there's a lot of work that's been done. And those of you who are listening are aware of this. I'm sure a lot of work that's been done about the power of love Mm. in an organization. Uh, Rodney Ferris, for instance, has done some wonderful work about organizational love, he calls it. And when a leader learns to convey to his or her followers how much they love them, it's amazing the way that that changes the environment. Fourth, attitudinal environment. Jesus performed the greatest act of servant leadership, of course, at the Last Supper that had ever been performed. He wraps himself in the towel of to a servant. He washes the feet of his disciples, which was uh, had a practical meaning at that time because they wore sandals, their feet got dirty. But it also said a whole lot about his posture. Though he was the one with the authority, he wanted to serve the needs of his followers. So Robert Greenleaf in his work on servant leadership, I'm sure, would call that a great act of servant leadership. And then fifth, Then there's an environment where he could communicate things that were absolutely revolutionary. When you create an environment where you've paid attention to physical climate, spiritual climate, emotional climate, attitudinal climate, you can say things that people will hear in a way that they would not have heard if there wasn't a sense of you being prepared for them. And so if you look at what Jesus said at the Last Supper from the perspective of a pure leadership talk, it is an amazing leadership talk. He makes covenant with his followers in a way that brings them into his mission. He tells them that he's going to let them know the details of his father's business. He tells them that he expects them to go and produce results he says, you know, I chose you. I appointed you. I brought you into this mission so that you go and bear fruit. I'm going to hold you accountable to what we're talking about here. Hmm. And then in so many other ways, some of which, frankly, at this moment are escaping me. He gives an amazing leadership talk to these guys. Hmm. These guys ultimately go and change the world. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Okay. When I'm talking about being prepared for people.
0: So let's go a little bit deeper making a connection for folks who are listening from a corporate mindset, and you just talked about a spiritual environment. What's the corporate implication of a spiritual environment in the workplace?
1: I would say that whether one is a believer in the way that I'm a believer and that you're a believer, Kevin, that if you're listening, whether you believe in that way or not, that I think there's a... Tremendous acknowledgement of the power of people being connected to something transcendent, to something bigger than they are. And people who organize their business in a way where they figure out how to connect what's being done to a higher purpose, which fits well into this podcast. Yes, it does. Are really wise leaders. There's a wonderful book, by the way, that comes to mind by a guy named C. Michael Thompson. I don't know if you've heard of him. C. Michael Thompson wrote a book called The Congruent Life. If I remember correctly, he's not writing from the perspective. It's a business book. And he's not writing from the perspective of a believer, if I remember correctly. But he talks a lot about the value of a leader connecting what the people in an organization are doing to something bigger than themselves, to something beyond them, to something that has ultimate meaning. And I think any wise leader in Pretty much any context is figuring out how to get the people that they're leading to be thinking about more than just a task, an imminent thing, but to be thinking about something transcendent somehow.
0: Yeah, I love the word transcendent. And I've done a lot of work around the topic of servant leadership. In some audiences, people go, well, is servant leadership a faith-based practice? And I'm like, well, for some it is. But the sense of this... Unless there's some sense of something transcendent, we'll never serve anybody but ourselves or anything but ourselves. So something has to be bigger. And when we're talking about one of the conversations that's so common today is how do we get people to bring them their whole self, their best self to the marketplace every day, to the office? The only way to do that is to have something that's bigger, something that has that meaning and that drawing. And that's the spiritual dimension, whether for you it's a thing of faith or not, right?
1: Yes. So I lead in a really interesting context in that we're here in the shadow of Wall Street. And I have a lot of folks who attend our church who have had a lot of success or having a lot of success on Wall Street. Well, you think about the environment of Wall Street and people don't get, you know, touchy. Feely feelings, right? Right. They see that as a dog eat dog kind of a world. Yes. One of the things that I'm constantly messaging to these guys and gals in that sphere is they have to figure out a way. If they're not going to be miserable human beings, they have to figure out a way to connect what they're doing to something more than just making money. I'm all for making money. I'm glad that they're being successful at making money. And I believe there's something that there's a goodness to that in and of itself, if one's using their money for higher purposes. But somehow or another, everybody has to figure out what is the transcendent meaning of what I'm doing, whether that's, you know, meeting a need for a client in a way that helps them to help their family flourish. Or if someone sees their role on Wall Street as relationships that are being built and those relationships somehow being leveraged for higher purposes, somehow or another, they have to figure out how to connect what they're doing to transcendence.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Terry, there's a vivid connection I have with your book, and it's going to be there. I started reading your book on Saturday, October 6th. I don't know if that brings for you listening or for even Terry listening, if there's something you go, oh, yeah, I know what was happening Saturday, October 6th. In case you're wondering why that date stands out in my mind and why it created this stark contrast between the events that were unfolding in the world, at least the Western world, and the days leading up to it, that was the day that Kavanaugh was being confirmed for the Supreme Court. And all of a sudden I start reading about hospitable leadership and I start hearing or reading you about polarization in the world today. And I cut on the TV that afternoon and it could not have been more stark contrast. I did not see any hospitality being practiced. I saw people shouting at one another, people yelling and throwing things and even interrupting the process in the chambers that's not supposed to happen. You know, all of this. So we have so much hostility in the world today. What's your hope for hospitality?
1: Well, Henry Nouwen in his seminal work on hospitality said that we have to move from hostility to hospitality. And I'd right. like the simplicity of that. Yeah. So I, I have a story around around that week. Okay. In fact, I remember Seeing you tweet about my book, The Hospitable Leader, while I was sitting at lunch that day after having spoken that morning at a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. You wow. can't know this, but I was sitting in Washington, D.C., <laughs> having spoken at a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., and speaking this prayer breakfast for a group of evangelical pastors and business leaders. It was at the Museum of the Bible, which is really fabulous. So, I got to D.C. that week on Thursday, and this is a story I hope I'm not risking too much by telling this. I need to figure out if I'm going to use names or not. I got to Washington, D.C. on Thursday, and I was with a group of about 100 leaders, most of whom would, I think, self-identify as evangelicals, and we were getting a private tour of the U.S. Capitol. And I had let one of my two U.S. senators, someone had let his office know that I was going to be in town. And this particular senator was one of the loudest voices on the Judiciary Committee. I mean, there are only two U.S. senators from New Jersey. So I might as well go ahead and say this is Cory Booker. Yep. Cory Booker had had his I am Spartacus moment, and he was vociferously opposing Kavanaugh. And so I'm in the Capitol. We're actually sitting in the room where the State of the Union happens, and we're listening to a conservative U.S. senator speak to us. And I get a text from the chief of staff of Senator Booker's office saying the Senator would like to see you. Can you come over to his office after hours? And of course I said, yes. And I literally went so late that I think it was the last train that was running between the Capitol to the Senate office building, found his office, knock on the door. It's locked. The place is dark. Finally, someone opens the door and basically look at me as if they said the office is closed. I said, well, I got a message from, the, I can't remember right now, the chief of staff name saying the senator wanted to see me. And they closed the door on my face because I introduced myself Well, I shouldn't say because, but I introduced myself as a pastor. <laughs> well, here's the shorter version of the story. I ended up having a marvelous, probably 25 minutes with Senator Booker mm. and giving him a copy of my book, The Hospitable Leader, And I have the picture of him grinning ear to ear to receive it. He actually had endorsed my previous book called Live 10. Hmm. And just before he went on to an interview on MSNBC, and I talked to him, and I won't go into great detail about what I said to him, but I talked to him about hospitable leadership Hmm. and let him know that I wasn't thrilled with some of his approach or his tone, I should say, In those hearings, and reminded him that that's not the Cory Booker that so many of us have known and loved. Because even though, as I said to him that night, you know, I disagree with you on a lot of issues, Senator, but I've always been able to respect the way that you addressed Mm. our differences. Please, I want to be able to root for you. Mm. And we talked about hospitable leadership. Well, in the prayer breakfast on Saturday morning, I had the opportunity to give a speech to these evangelical leaders and I talked about the same thing. I talked about hospitable leadership because the fact is whether left or right, everybody is yelling at each other. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way that we're going to accomplish much good in this country. And this is true in families. This is true in churches. This is true in businesses. If we can't sit at a table together and talk about our differences in a way that speaks truth, but speaks truth wrapped in grace.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm tearing up as I'm listening to you, Terry. I mean, I just go back to that day and I was like, yeah, this is the hope that we find a place to come to the table together. And I just find it interesting, you know, having grown up in the South in churches, Nothing happens at church without food, or nothing that people come to, at least. And you always had these meals, and there was always food and hospitality, and just this whole hope that with now and hostility to hospitality, that we could somehow sit down and talk together. Because as I was watching that week, I'm thinking all of us want the same things. We all want a world where women are respected. Absolutely. And we all want a world where no one, no one is falsely accused.
1: Absolutely.
0: And couldn't we sit down at tables and find a way to work
1: that out? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's that A week like that is heartbreaking. And it just so happened that I happened to be in town that week. And you had no idea about this, but I got to talk to a principal player on one side of the issue and to a group of people who largely represented yeah. the feelings on the other side of the issue. And the fact is, we need to be able to sit down together yeah. and talk together and discuss our differences in a yeah. rational and kind way where we're, we're listening to each other. You know, one of the big ideas of the hospital believer, as you know, is the idea of learning to love the stranger.
0: Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So the hospitable leader is organized into five welcomes. And it's important to note, this is just one of the welcomes. And there are business applications to this welcome, which is called strangers. But some business leaders might find this a little bit too theoretical but hopefully I can get to the practicality of it in a moment. So the first welcome is home. I talk about how a wise leader creates an environment where people feel at home, where their hearts are warmed, and how that when people's hearts are warmed, they're simply easier to lead. The second welcome is called strangers. The word hospitality in the original Greek in which the New Testament was written literally means to love a stranger. And I talk about how that we need to learn to love strangers or we need to learn to love people who are strange to us and to whom we are strange. Hmm. So that could be the way that a Republican Democrat approach each other, or that could be the way that people from different racial backgrounds or ethnicities or nations of origin approach each other. Or sometimes it could be the way a husband and a wife approach each other. Mm -hmm. Because let's be frank, sometimes the strangest thing in the world to a man is the way that a woman thinks. And I'll guarantee you the strangest thing in the world to a woman sometimes is the way a man thinks, right? Or doesn't think, yeah. Or doesn't think, or doesn't feel, or feels. (laughs) Or it could be a parent in the way that they're dealing with a teenager who's going through a time that's very strange to the Mm -hmm. parent. There's this great passage in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, where we're told that we need to be careful to show hospitality to strangers, because when we do so, we may find we're entertaining angels unaware. Mm. And this is one of the highest values of our church. It's this, if you attend this church, you are going to hang out with people who are strange to you. And if you just want to hang out with people who look like you, think like you, eat the same food you do, have the same kind of assumptions about life or politics or any other number of things that you do, you're not going to be comfortable here. Mm. You have to love loving strangers. But if you're willing to approach life like that, what you'll discover is that many times that person who was strange to you is actually an angel that you're entertaining Mm. unaware. And by that, I'm not talking about a literal angel, though that I believe could happen. But an angel, that just means a messenger from God. And many times when I have welcomed people to the table who are strange to me, with whom I disagree or who I don't understand in some significant way, that person becomes a messenger from God to me. They expand my life in ways that I could never have even contemplated Hmm. before we sat at the table together.
0: Wow. Okay. And in that section of the book, you talked about leadership by exclusion and you made the statement that it's leadership by subtraction. Unpack that for us briefly.
1: Well, I think most leaders they're satisfied with too many empty seats at the table. Mm. So many leaders, even without intentionally doing it only speak to their base. They don't take the time to consider how, to influence a person who doesn't come with the same set of assumptions that they do. So the leadership methodology of Jesus is beautiful in this regard because he was constantly welcoming people to the table who had never been welcomed before. And this is true in many ways. Sometimes people completely other than him, people who had totally different value systems that he did, and he would welcome these people to the table and ultimately they would become a part of his team but then at other times, he would welcome people who were similar to him in terms of values, but they'd never been welcomed before. Let's say, for instance, women. Jesus welcomed women in a way that no leader in the history of civilization, as far as I'm aware, had ever been welcomed. And in so doing, you know, his relationship with Mary and Martha and these women who traveled with him and who were clearly very important to him, who felt very welcome to him, who felt respected by him, and who helped form Mm. over 50% of the leadership of the early Christian church. When the Apostle Paul talks about leaders in the early Christian church, he talks about households, over 50% of those households were led by women. Mm. Mm. Jesus, because he was such a hospitable leader, made that possible. And there's a business side to this you expand your influence when you welcome people who haven't been welcomed before. Jesus more than doubled his workforce because of the way he welcomed women.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's something there that I want to invite you listening to just think about. And that is what are the empty seats around the table and what are the perspectives? What are the insights that you're missing out on because you're not welcoming those who, May be strange to you. Now, another one that I want to make sure, another welcome. So, you said there are five home, strangers, dreams, communication. I just can't go away without us talking about communication a moment. And I want to point you to one thing I read in that chapter that stood out. I like this idea of an organizational culture so infused with love that even the most difficult of things can be said and dealt with in an honest way that promotes the growth of everyone concerned in the organization itself. Hospitable leaders create space for truth.
1: Yeah, so sometimes people will have an instinctive reaction to the idea of hospitable leadership without, as you are so hospitably doing, really digging into the ideas to where it can be properly understood. And they will have this idea of kumbaya, Let's just sit around and just be sweet to each other. Mm. This is not what hospitable leadership is about. Leadership is about influence. Yeah. And as a leader, I want to influence people. And that could mean, you know, influence someone to buy my product, or that could mean influence someone to do a job in a particular way, or that could you know, have political references, or in my context, influencing people to accept the truth claims of Jesus. But In order for that to happen, you have to speak truth. And so hospitable leaders create environments where truth can be spoken. But hopefully, because the environment is so hospitable, it can actually be heard and received and acted on. So, again, I already referred to this guy named Rodney Ferris, who's a well known leadership theoretician and practitioner. And he talks about this concept of organizational love. I read this years ago. I'm kind of a unique pastor in that I I am a pastor, but I also have a master's degree in organizational leadership. And I came across Ferris during my master's work on organizational leadership. And I was so impressed with his idea of organizational love. And one of the things he really stressed is that if you love people, You speak truth to them. Mm, That's right. But, and he didn't say it this way. This is the way that I say it. You do it hospitably. Mm. So I have a guy in my congregation who is the CTO of one of, well, let's just say one of Wall Street's largest firms and their equities division. And obviously this guy's really successful. And he talked about how that hearing me teach about hospitable leadership changes the way he fires people. Wow. That's- now he still has to fire people, though I'm not a fan of that word. But he talked about how that loving people and creating an environment where they can flourish allows him even to dismiss them in a way where he speaks the truth to them in a loving way that cares for them that cares about them, their present circumstance, that reviews their job in a way that helps them think about how to get better, that's concerned about where they're going to land, that talks to them about the larger picture of their life. Mm. And I just kind of found it interesting, and I've had a lot of high-powered corporate leaders who are responding to the book this way, that it empowers you to speak the truth, but to do it more, first of all, to be committed to speak the truth to people but to do it in a way that's actually more effective because mm-hmm. the environment that you've created is such that people, well, when they know you love them, what well, makes all the difference in the world?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you listening, you, you may hear something reminiscent from episode 71, Rich Sheridan with his new book, Chief Joy Officer. He made the statement about love. Can't we have an environment of love that allows us to practice tough love without being
1: harsh. That's beautiful. I love that.
0: Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. There are times you have to make tough decisions, but you don't have to communicate them with harsh tone or harsh environment. It creates a softer landing for the person.
1: Absolutely. M Scott Peck in his wonderful just landmark work The Road Less Traveled define love as to promote one's own or another's spiritual growth. Hmm. Now that's really deep, but I love the connection between loving a person and caring about their growth. The apostle Paul talked about this when he said that we have to speak the truth in love and that when we do, it helps people grow. And so I think if we love people, we speak truth to them. We are completely invested in their growth. And sometimes even when we have to let someone go, we know it's not a good fit. We know it's not serving the organization. We know it's not serving them ultimately. But we don't just say, get out of here. Right. We're dealing with it in a way that hopefully loves them enough to help them grow.
0: So, Terry, time's getting away from us. Be- before it does, and I'd like to do a much deeper conversation on hope. where you in the book? Time just doesn't allow that. But I want to invite you to speak to the person listening now who's just had hope taken away. For whatever, you know, a series of events where they feel that hope has been sucked out of their sails. What would you say to them?
1: For someone to practice the kind of leadership that I am suggesting, they absolutely have to be a hopeful and happy person. That's why the fifth welcome of the book is called feasts. You can't create an environment where your leadership domain feels like a feast to your followers unless you live a feast. Now there's a whole backstory to that, which we don't have time for, but key to living a feast is hope. And I encourage leaders to practice the discipline of hope. One of the things, you know, a lot of this book comes out of my own experience, including my own struggles. And one of the things that I've had to combat over the years is are seasons of deep discouragement where things weren't going the way that I hoped they would go, or there was some tremendous setback, or I experienced some loss, or walked with people who were experiencing some significant walk in their life. But I knew that I couldn't stay discouraged because people are not going to follow a discouraged leader. So I encourage leaders to practice the discipline of hope, to intentionally cultivate high hope levels so that. Hope helps create an environment in your own person that bleeds out into whatever it is that you're leading. And there are times when I have to, I've had to force myself to hope mm-hmm. and to raise my hope levels because that actually is the secret to happiness. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, we are happy because of the hope we have. And so happiness Something happens to us, actually physiologically, something happens to us when we hope. There's a lot of wonderful work on this right now in, in the positive psychology world. Something actually physiologically happens to us, but certainly emotionally, spiritually, when we hope. So we have to force ourselves sometimes to think about the things that we're hoping for in a way that raises our hope and happiness level. People are much more inclined to want to follow us when we do.
0: Terry, is there something else that you would want to say that would put a bow on this conversation and make it complete
1: for you? I love the title of your podcast. I think that if leaders are leading with a higher purpose in mind, it changes everything about our leadership domain. And I've been privileged to do a number of podcasts during the release of this book But I don't think I've done one where we've talked about transcendence in the way you and I have today. And it fits so well with the whole higher purpose thing. Mm. Somehow or another, you have to have an internal spiritual environment. Hospitable leadership is a state of being Mm. to begin with. But that part of that state of being is being connected to a higher purpose, to something transcendent, to something bigger than yourself. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. And for people that want to get more, find a copy of the book, The Hospitable Leader, or connect with you, where do we point them?
1: So those of you who are listening can visit a special page that's been created for you on my website. You can visit Terry A. Smith. That's Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, terryasmith.com forward slash purpose to Explore our new hospitable leadership community. That's terryasmith.com forward slash purpose. And you'll find all kinds of resources there, including free access to a preview of the book. And also as a special offer to all of you, I'm offering on that site, the audio book for 50% off. And I know a lot of podcast listeners enjoy listening to a book. Maybe as well as or instead of reading a book. And so, terryasmith.com forward slash purpose.
0: Well, thank you, Terry. That's very hospitable of you. <laughs> so, Terry, how generous of you to offer the Audible book at uh, 50% off? And you are the one reading the book to us?
1: I am the one who read the book and. To all of you who are listening, if you can take the sound of my voice, you get about, I think, seven hours of it if you listen to me read The Hospitable Leader.
0: All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Terry. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to the book or reading the book because we need more hospitable leaders. We're agreed on that, are we not? Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Terry. That was a delightful conversation. I'm curious as to what things stood out to you. It's always interesting to hear what connects with people from a conversation. I want to call out three that are just lingering in my mind, and I want to start with something easy, something you've heard a lot about lately here in other places, this whole idea of soft skills, soft leadership. And I love that Terry said, soft leadership skills produce hard results. And most people have no idea how hard soft skills can be until they try practicing them. And then for me, there was a treat in the story when Terry was telling us about his trip to D.C. The same time I started reading his book, that he's meeting with leaders on both sides of the aisle in D.C. and encouraging them to sit down at the table together. We need to convert hostility to hospitality if we're going to have the change we want to see. And now that inspires me to issue you a personal challenge. And I don't think I've ever done anything quite like this on the podcast before. So here's the challenge. If you're on the opposite side of an issue, an issue that's important to you at work, family, wherever that issue is, why not invite the person on the other side to sit down at the table with you, whether that's for coffee or tea? Some of you may even need a stronger libation for the conversation at task or just sit down and enjoy a meal, extend hospitality and have a different approach to the conversation and let me know what happens. And then finally, I want to ask you, what can you do to practice the discipline of hope? Find ways to amp up your hope today. And there are people who say hope is not a strategy. Well, as I've thought about this, I don't want a part of any strategy that doesn't include hope. We just can't go a day without hope. Hope may not be enough to get it done, but you got to have hope. So thanks for listening. I encourage you to join us again next week. And until then, I want to remind you to live, love, and lead with purpose. If you're a leader who is or wants to be entrusted with the transformation of your team, join Kevin and six other leaders for a year-long journey of transformation that will help you release your brilliance and help others to do the same. Email Kevin at KevinDMonroe.com to begin the application process.